the ideas, the leaders, the lives that are shaping Denmark and the world. From Blocks Hub in Copenhagen, Denmark, with your co-hosts, Ed Lay and Thomas Mulhern, this is Global Denmark. Welcome back to the Global Denmark podcast, where we explore how thought leaders and innovators are working to create a better Denmark and a better world. Well, guys, we have a brand new format that we're kicking off today, where we have our podcast alumni in a roundtable format discussing lessons for and from Denmark. On our first roundtable discussion today, we speak with CEO of Women Deliver, Ketje Irusen, Managing Director of the IME Fund and Henley Business School, Chris Schoen, and CEO of Copenhagen Capacity, Klaus Lumbor. In this wide-ranging conversation, we explored all of their lessons from and for Denmark. Now, we're going to release this in a two-segment launch, where the first segment is about lessons from Denmark to the rest of the world. We explored, amongst other things, the social welfare state in Denmark and the benefits it has, both in terms of a business case, but also the social well-being. We talked about low power distance in terms of the Nordic leadership model, diversity and inclusion issues, how it relates to talent attraction, and much, much more. We're really excited about this format, and we're going to bring in these lessons to the table and keep bringing back our alumni, in addition to having new guests. So without further ado, we bring you Ketje Jurisson, Chris Schoen, and Klaus Lindborg, part one. We are back. I am here with my co-host, Mr. Ed Lay. Ed, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Really excited about this new format and, and actually better coffee in the new location. So that's excellent, Chris, thanks. <laughs> we are, yeah, live here at Henley Business School in Copenhagen. And we are here with three of our distinguished alumni, Ms. Ketje Jurisson. Mr. Chris Schoen, Mr. Klaus Lumbor. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. You know, some have said that being an alumni on our podcast is akin to a Lifetime Achievement Award. So I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if that's what you're feeling right now. But uh, I, can, I can see the nerves and the excitement. But uh, welcome to you all. Ketcha, we're going to start with you and dive right in. This first segment is about lessons from Denmark to the rest of the world. On our uh, recording, you had two lessons. The first was that everyone wins when we have a welfare state, and Denmark is one of the best countries to be an entrepreneur. Could you maybe uh, explain a little bit about that and what you mean by that? And Chris and Klaus can jump in at any time. Absolutely. In the broader perspective, what we discussed in our podcast was very much the gender equality angle, both to where Denmark is, where Denmark could go, and what Denmark could, could teach the world in, in that regard. So my, my comment about everybody wins when we have a welfare state came from kind of a gender perspective and that, you know, one of the one of the things that Denmark is really good at is to have a system where with family friendly policies, you know, you have childcare that's uh, affordable and accessible, you have a work week that can harmonize with family life, you have opportunities for women that many other countries don't see. It's not as it should be compared to our other Nordics, but it's still good. So so we have a welfare state that creates security. And I'll also go out on a limb and say that's one of the reasons why the Danes are some of the most happy people in the world. You know, we do not fall through the cracks because there's a welfare state. So when you have that investment, 
because it is an investment, you pay it over the taxes, but it's a much more equal society, so you don't see those threats from the very unequal society in terms of crime, in terms of inequality, and what that can, that can bring to bear. And you have a better educated workforce that also benefits business. You were based over in Manhattan. I'm based in the U.S., When you explain the welfare model to Americans and other global stakeholders, Mm -hmm. is it become a discussion about tax, or what is the perception? Well, depending on what segments I speak to, some admire it greatly, and some think it's pure socialism and that it's the vile of the earth. but, you know, I think one of, one of the intros to my discussion is often what I pay in taxes in the States, because it's not a lot less than I pay here, but I don't have a feeling of getting a lot for the money. I am all for taxes, so let's just put that clear, when you get something for it. Sure. But, you know, in the U.S., you pay your taxes, but you do not get free health care, and you do not get free education, and you also pay to drive on the roads, which are pretty crappy. To pivot to something you said about Denmark being the happiest country in the world, we interviewed Mike Viking, and uh, who kind of helped us to understand that rather than being the happiest country in the world, Denmark is the least unhappy country in the world because of the the social equality. But to, to pivot to gender equality, I'm really interested in how that is measured, whether it's equality of opportunity or whether it's equality of outcome and how we're measuring and how Denmark can move forward. Yeah, so Denmark is uh, in the latest gender gap report from the World Economic Forum. I'm on my way to Davos, so we're going down to discuss that. Uh, Denmark is number 14, which is sliding down, and we are behind our Nordic brothers and sisters, the Netherlands and Rwanda. Uh, yes. So, you know, there's, a, there's definitely room for improvement here. But if you look at it through the welfare state lens, we needed more people in the workforce. We needed more women in the workforce. So we needed to have that childcare, pension, etc. So that was actually some of the founding stones for that. Klaus, when you hear Ketch's lesson about the social welfare model, how much does that play in terms of attracting foreign direct investment or global talent? It's actually quite funny because I would say just 10 or 20 years ago, I don't think it played a very large role actually in attracting companies. Companies would look at where they would get the best requirements, you know, framework conditions, you know, lowest salary of workers and whatever. Today that has changed with many of the investments that we see coming in, especially to Denmark. I mean, they're not looking for low wages manufacturing. I mean, they're typically looking for where they can get the best skills, the best ideas, the best source of innovation. And that breaks down to, again, where they can actually attract the best talent to come and stay. So suddenly the destination, as we're talking about here, becomes more and more interesting for the companies because if they're not in the right places, they won't attract the right talent and the right talent won't come here unless the conditions are good for them. And this is where the welfare system and the whole Danish model is suddenly starting to play in. And we see that very, very clearly now when we start to do, you know, we do recruitment campaigns also for foreign talent, trying to get them to come to Denmark now. And we support approximately 300 people in getting into jobs, you know, from abroad, getting into Danish jobs in Denmark here. What's more interesting is that once we reach out to these people here, we today have a database of approximately 45,000 foreigners 
within science, technology, engineering and math who have told us, well, the right job may not have come for me yet, but I'm definitely interested. So I think it proves certainly what Katja is saying here also that the destination and what we do as a society is playing a very, very big role in today for the talent and thereby also for the investors. One of the issues I see that I really want to mention is it's an export Denmark has, and that is also through the foreign policy. Because one thing is that we have some of the the, the elements of what we do in business, etc. But I'd also say our both our welfare system, but also the the notion of looking after people who need it also is uh, manifested in our foreign policy and particularly development policy, where we see gender equality, we see uh, health, we see equality as uh, main pillars. And that's something that has given Denmark a tremendously high stand on the international scene that can be used for many things, including for attracting talent to uh, the country. Chris, you're an outsider on the inside, as you say, uh, both a Dane and an American now. What would you say to Americans if they were considering Denmark and they start talking to you, ah, but they pay such high tax, and I don't know if I want that welfare, social welfare state model, as someone who's experienced it? Well, I can certainly sympathize, if you may say that, with Katja in her observation of paying taxes in New York. Because I had a similar observation when I lived there. And what do you actually get then when you start talking about federal tax, state tax, city tax, Medicare, Medicaid at that time, you start to add it up and you go, the tax burden is is quite similar, but it's a different kind of mentality. So I think that's one of the implications that Americans would always think about, okay, what, what about the taxes? But at the same time, when I was recently back in the States and talking with many of my people from my professional network and friends and so forth, in my age group, there's three things that were on their mind. It was staying in a job that they probably didn't like for healthcare, benefits, saving up for or paying their children's education, and saving up for retirement. And that is essentially what filled so much of their their mental capacity, so to speak, that I felt so liberated in realizing that I didn't have to really think about those things. So I, I think that's, that, that's something that I talked about. But another thing that they reflect on from what um, Katja was saying with, with gender, say gender diversity, and just with the really struck me with watching this is this is the privilege of being an outsider on the inside. I think you notice things uh, maybe that people don't necessarily see who are if you're the fish in the water, so to speak. The Prime Minister's New Year's speech, you know, regardless if you agree with her position on things, 70% of her speech was dedicated to children from a Prime Minister of a country. That's powerful. You know, like again, regardless if you agree or disagree, that sends an extremely strong signal. And then coupled by the fact that if you see, you know, the Nordic countries, and now four out of five prime ministers in the Nordic countries are women. And I think we can all agree that, you know, with the challenges that, that we're faced with, and, you know, my angle on, on things, it's about leadership and about what can the Nordic or what countries or what can Denmark do to inspire the rest of the world on their approach to leadership. I think when you have four of five prime ministers from the Nordic countries who are women, and we continue to see Denmark in many of the Nordic countries, you know, topping uh, many of the global indexes on things that, that we've been talking about with happiness and productivity and safety and so forth, that maybe we have to be use this to inspire the rest of the world. Kaja, I work with a number of software and, and tech companies. The CEOs and the leaders in those companies will openly say, we're desperate for women to come and work here. They're not applying for the jobs, or if they are, it's two out of, out of 100, and the talent 
more often, just because of the ratio of numbers, tends to lie in that 98. What would you say to that? Is that an error at the education level, or is it just because women given equal opportunity lean towards certain areas and men given equal opportunity lean towards others? When I speak to business leaders, and I often do, it's not just about who applies, it's also about your work culture, it's about your pipeline, it's about your outreach, it's about what are you looking for, are you hiring in your own image? So don't just put the blame on the women, they don't need fixing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you have to go to it from a multiple angle. Because I've heard that argument so many times. Oh, we can't find them, they're not there, they're not qualified. It's going, well, maybe you're doing something wrong. And then, then you start to look at the education system. You start to look at your work culture. If you work from, from 10 to 10, no, they're not going to be there because they still carry most of the unpaid burden or unpaid care back home. So then you can get the young ones, but as soon as they start getting children, you know, if you have a work culture where you work around the clock or you have multiple, you have different hours or it's, it's expected that you go network over drinks or ping pong, then no, you're not going to attract it. So it's both go seek them and create the environment where they can be, you know, particularly in software, particularly in tech. There's a lot of, a lot of research that shows that when you come as a woman and sit in front of a panel of five men in suits, or maybe not suits and software, um, <laughs> then, then, then you will, then you, you know, you do not feel welcome. You do not feel that you fit in. So if, so if we had equality of opportunity, do you think we would see equality of outcome? Uh, I think we would see better outcome. You know, that's also what research shows, that economically, companies that have more, or more diversity, including very strong gender diversity in both the C-suite and the boards, just do better. And the work environment gets better. You can see um, more and more companies trying to align their core business with sustainable development goal five and 10 that go directly to that point. Klaus, you talk about in your lessons from Denmark, low power distance being a real model to look at. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? I would actually put another word to it, which may be kind of an umbrella to this, and that is trust. Trust, we have a lot of trust in the Danish society. It, it's, it's a hard thing to get your arms around, and especially if you want to go out and promote it, because what does it mean and what does it entails? But trust in the institutions, trust in each other. If I meet Katja and I don't know her, my starting point would be you know, that she's a good person. I would trust her. As a Dane, you tend to be direct, meaning also that you, you actually say out loud what you would like or what you can offer so you don't play games or hide around the, the truth of what you actually want here. And I think that is some of the cornerstones or actually that built this trust here. What it means for society and what it means for the low power distance that we talked about here is something about, you know, that it builds an environment, including a working environment in the companies here, where you are allowed, you are expected to speak out, I would say. Not just allowed, you are expected to speak out. You are expected to be proactive, uh, but also constructive in your approach. So don't just come to your manager and tell him what or her, what, what's working or what's not working, but come with suggestions. How can we improve things? I mean, and that is something that I don't find in that many other companies and that many other cultures when you travel uh, abroad here. And I think it's something that really is at least one of the DNA parts of Denmark and Danish culture, even though it is hard to explain and it's hard to promote it internationally. Chris, you wrote the book on the Danish values from an outside looking in. Can you speak to the 
the Nordic values and how they lower the hierarchy in this country and, and other Nordic countries? I certainly agree with them. I mean, one of the, the, the foundations of the Nordic societies and, and also a Nordic uh, management or leadership style is, is the idea of trust. And, you know, a lot of times you would say, well, you know, it's a low power distance or it's delegating or it's collaborative or it's communicative. But you can't have any of that unless you trust each other. So I think that's certainly um, something that you see as one of the, say, the pillars of both society, a way of doing business and a, and a way of, uh, of leading people. A question often comes up, well, then can you export this? And that's always the discussion. Well, that doesn't work here because people are different, you know, or they expect something different. And we all know in working in, in international business, we always have to adjust our business models. But at the end of the day, I mean, who doesn't want to be respected? I mean, who doesn't want to be listened to? And that is, is universal. And I think that is one of the things that Denmark and the Nordic countries can inspire the rest of the world in how to do business and how to lead, because that is universal. You, um, in your book, Return of the Vikings, uh, mapped out kind of nine Viking virtues as keys to Nordic leadership. One of them was courage. And I think when we talk about trust, does it not require a certain amount of courage to stand up and be able to take that feedback and that criticism and to delegate? Absolutely. And there's many dimensions of looking at courage. I mean, one you can also see in, in entrepreneurship, as you say, the, a very entrepreneurial mindset, because you have the courage to, to take a risk. But you also have the courage, you know, as you think about a, say, a whistleblower mentality. I mean, you can look in any media or, or scandal upon scandal that we're seeing uh, day in and day out. And it's about, you know, and I always fascinates me, wonder what the culture is in that organization and maybe the fear or not having the courage to stand up for what is right. As technology continues and, and you know, to define a society and the way we live and things moving so fast and becoming everly complex that we are going to be faced with those decisions on doing what is right and what is wrong and having the courage to speak up. Absolutely, and nothing allows for courage more than safety. Right? When you know that you've got, <laughs> when you know you can get another job and you know that whistleblowing is or it's common be protected. Yeah, yeah, as we see in the whole. Yeah, or, you know, and you know that if you, what I see particularly within within health systems, if you don't have that healthcare insurance, it's not a lot of both mistakes but also accidents that can actually take you from the mansion to the gutter. Oh. Mm. If I may just kind of comment on the trust part, one of the things that always strikes me in the U.S. is. You don't trust the health system. You always go for second, third, and fifth opinion. Where I'm kind of here, we can trust that if you go to the health system, relatively trust, you can trust that they will recommend what is needed. You trust your doctor. You trust that when you turn on, on the tap, you get clean water. That's not the case yeah, everywhere. We, um, we yeah. spoke to, uh, to Kelly Jensen, uh, one of the uh, experts on trust, who, who told us that, and I'm going to get this number wrong, somewhere in the region of $3 trillion cost per year for lack of trust in, in billion, the United States. Billion, a billion, billion, three billion? billion. Yeah. Yeah. No, one, one billion, I think, yeah. Was it one, one billion? It was one billion I G, the GDP the per wrong. point of trust <laughs> in the society. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of money. A lot of money. A lot of money is what I should have said. Yeah. A lot of money. Is there a difference, though, between a trillion? And... But Klaus, when you hear this in terms of trust, how do you sell that to foreign companies and to global talent as one of the uh, attractors for coming here? That's the hard part, right? Because it is difficult. It's, it's kind of a fluffy thing to talk about. And it's not directly business related. It's, it doesn't relate directly to your bottom line, right? As a, as a company leader, you know, these 
tough guys because they are very often guys uh, who you have to sell it to. But what we do try to do is actually not go out ourselves, but talk to other foreigners, business leaders in Denmark who have experienced the trust part and what it means to work with a flat organization and that it means that it's not because Danes are just lazy that they don't work around the clock because they are actually able to and willing to you know really go all in when required but then the next day they might go home early right and having the foreign leaders talk about this makes a lot more sense in my head because they are actually the best salespersons because they're more trustworthy than I would be right <laughs> I'm sorry, it knows what it feels like to be a foreign leader and it's being all of a sudden given staff responsibilities and saying, okay, guys, we're going to go this way. And everybody looks at you and says, why? And then you have to somehow go, but because I said so? And they go, okay, that, that's not enough. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's the difference we talk about between management and leadership too a lot of the time, right? But, but let me give you the opposite example of what you just mentioned here, because I used to be a manager in China. Coming into China with a Danish management culture, I said, let's go right here. And they all went right. And we went directly into the abyss because nobody stopped me, right? <laughs> Fell completely because the, the boss had said, we're going right. So they went right. They knew it was wrong, but they didn't stop me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was not expecting that. And I would definitely have expected that in Denmark. Of course, somebody would have spoken up if they thought this is wrong. You know, Chris, I know you mentioned to me that there is the Innovation Center in Silicon Valley also, and that you guys are looking at the future of leadership also with this Nordic perspective. Mm -hmm. Can you say a little bit about that and how it ties in? Well, it, it's, um, we started the dialogue with Innovation Center Silicon Valley and the IME Foundation as the, one of the initiatives there on the, looking at the future of work and how um, technology is going to impact society and work and how we work in the future. And then I you know, proposed the angle of what, what about the future of leadership. So it's a project kind of is under development. Though. It's kind of exploratory to find out, okay, it's not coming up with the answers, but it's more trying to find the questions. And it's more of a global journey exploring what is the future of, of work or the future of leadership. The whole important part of it is diversity. It has to be a diverse group of people from a, a you know, uh, an influencer in a township in Silicon Valley to an entrepreneur in Denmark to a, to a CEO in, in Korea and all together exploring what is the future of leadership. So that's kind of a project that's under the works that I'm quite excited about. I'd love to talk to you about that offline. <laughs> because we, we are working on some of the same uh, from a gender perspective. But again, it's the diversity. You know, if, if we sit around the table and we all look the same in a world that is so diverse, we're not going to succeed. Might be in the long, in the short term. In the long term, we're not because we're not adaptable enough. We don't have all the different perspectives, and mm -hmm. and and we very much come to it from also from women's leadership and mm -hmm. that. And what are some of the competencies? Because leadership has been defined in a mainly male male way, white middle class or upper class, mm -hmm. uh, and that's not just not the world anymore. It's not, anymore. It's not the mm -hmm. world. I'm sad to hear about the gender inequality there. I mean that I will have to take that up. I, I think I think that's a perfect place to. Take a short break, hear a word from our sponsors. We're going to come back with lessons to Denmark. And I have a feeling that diversity and equality are going to come up in those. That was the end of part one of our roundtable podcast with Ketchy Hurwissen, Chris Schoen, and Klaus Lundborg. We will be releasing part two of the podcast, Lessons to Denmark, one week from today. We hope you enjoyed and see you next week on the GDP. Are you getting the most out of your time in Denmark? Pick up the printed copy of the English language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information guaranteed to enhance your working and family life.